Welcome to the new episode of the Corporate Chat Podcast. Your hosts for today are Emmanuel Blais and myself, Alexis Beaulieu. We both pursue a Bachelor of Commerce at McGill University. Thanks to our sponsors, Deloitte, Cementov Development, LTD, and Red Bull. The guest for today's episode is Andrew Heinzman. He is the founder and a managing partner at InvestEco. InvestEco is a venture capital firm founded in 2002, specializing in sustainable and innovative companies operating in the food and agriculture sector. Mr. Heinzman received a Bachelor and a Master of Arts at McGill University. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Andrew Heinzman. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. It's a great pleasure for us having you. So to start, could you tell us a little bit more about InvestEco and your current role? Sure. Um, so I'm one of the two managing partners of InvestEco. Um, this is a firm that I helped to found um, 24 years ago or so now um, with a focus on sustainability. So our original insight was that it was important that capital be directed towards companies that help to solve some of the problems of, of sustainability and also that it was a good business opportunity. Um, and so those two kind of insights came together in, in us founding our firm. And we we did a we we did a first kind of number of years kind of experimenting a little bit, like we raised some small funds and we we invested in a variety of sectors and ultimately about 12 years ago decided to uh, um, focus exclusively on the food sector. So that that's kind of a that was a choice we made part part way down the road and I can talk to you why, why we did that, but effectively we, we thought we'd be more effective by focusing exclusively at one sector and becoming kind of sector experts in, in that sector. Um, but so today we invest what we, we would call a, a growth or expansion stage companies. They're typically companies with, I'd say on average, like five to 30 million in revenues that are high growth companies that have the capacity to be, um, you know, plus hundred million dollar companies, um, and in which we can make a equity investment and help help the company grow and succeed. And they have to they have to kind of promote health and sustainability in 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 some respect. And it's it sort of varies a bit company to a company, but it, we have to feel that they're making a positive influence on the on the food sector. That's great. Before you founded InvestEco, what were some positions you held? Yeah, so I actually, so I came out of McGill myself and I started a, like a media company, magazine business, and we ended up having a TV show and a, like an internet presence sort of fairly early on. And that was my main thing that I had done really previously. We grew that business and we ended up selling it. Um, along the way, I helped to start a small research company too, and was bought out by my partner. So my experience had been kind of built, um, starting my own companies and, and running them. So you've always been an entrepreneur. You've never worked for anybody else, right? Basically true. I mean, I ended up working for, when we sold our media business, I worked for the people we sold it to, but by and large, that's, yeah, that's fair. And you're working with a partner in Investeco? 
Yeah, so we have a team of of twelve, but there's one other managing partner uh, with uh, along with me. So we we would be the two managing partners, um, and then we have a variety of others uh, that are part of the team as well. Okay, perfect. Um, so we heard you're a McGill alumni. How do you feel your studies in arts help you uh, in your financial career? Because it's unusual. Yes, it it is unusual. It's um. It's a good question. I mean, I think um, it 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 it's it it has helped for sure, um, but in in sort of unusual ways. I, I mean, I think to start with, um, being a good reader and a good writer is a pretty important thing, um, and that's true like almost in any field you go into. I think, and in a funny way, well, there's a bit of a a diversion, but my I did my thesis on um a person called wallace stevens who's probably one of the great poets of the 20th century that was my master's thesis and it was kind of interesting because he was actually a business person who was a poet on the side and uh, uh but as a result he had this real interest in language and you actually realize in the business world um it's kind of about language like it's it's a funny thing to say but like poetry is a study of language but Contracts are the study of language. A lot there, there's a lot of business that's about language, actually, uh, and attention to um, details in language. So there is a funny overlap. Um, um, that that you know, besides that, I'd say like kind of an interest in um, in, in you know, in as I said earlier, in kind of meaning and, and reading and writing, and those things are like valuable skills. But truly. It is, a, it, it, you know, it's a fairly um, big jump. And I think part of what works in our firm is that my partner has a lot of the, the more conventional uh, business skills. So Alex is a CFA, he's an MBA. He was actually trained as a lawyer. So he has all the um, hard skills that I lack. And I have these, these funny soft skills that um, I acquired at, uh, at McGill. So you've al always uh, been interested by finance and like business in general, but you decided to pursue arts for what reason? So I really wasn't, I mean, to be honest, I was not interested in business. I was interested, my interest in business came around sort of by the back door. So I was interested in, in writing and arts. I came out of Miguel, I started a magazine and basically because I had to keep the magazine running I learned how to how to do business. It was kind of, and then what happened was as I did that, I got more and more interested in business. So it was kind of because we ended up starting this magazine that I had to figure out how to turn into a business that I got, that I started to learn about business. And then I ultimately, I got quite interested in that. And, and that kind of took me in, in that direction. That's really cool. So when taking over a company, What portion of a company do you usually acquire percentage-wise? It's quite varied. Like, we don't worry too much about the percentage. How we think of it is that we want to have a material involvement, and we usually um, determine that by basically having a board seat. So we kind of want to be at the table and be able to have our say on how a company is run. So... As long as it's enough of a ownership for us to have a board seat that typically satisfies our our need for. So we have positions that run anywhere from like on the low end, maybe like two percent to like we've had we've had one that was over 50, but we have we've had a number that are kind of close to 50. So it's a pretty wide 
But I would say on average, it's probably like 15 to 20% of a company's ownership. We understand that Investico is the pioneering private equity funds of, it, of its kind. What led to your decision to focus on the environmental impact as your area of expertise? Yeah, so it was a combination of a personal interest in sustainability and, and, and a view that kind of capital needs to flow into solving problems of sustainability, that we needed to kind of leverage the capital markets, this great engine of change and, uh, you know, and, and creativity on one hand, but also on the other hand, that it was actually kind of an opportunity. And I, when, when we started Investico, I read two um, things. One was a book and one was a magazine article that had kind of similar theses. And the magazine article, if I remember correctly, was in the Harvard Business Review. And it basically said, like, sustainability is, is one of the great economic opportunities of all time kind of thing. That was it. It was like repositioning it as an economic opportunity. And then the book was the, a book called The Ecology of Commerce. And it was kind of about how we need to kind of redesign our economic systems to to um, leverage the, the the markets to solve these problems. So a couple things like that came together and I just had this idea and there was nothing really like it at the time of like, yeah, there's basically nothing like it in Canada. Um, and so for me, what happened was I, I probably, I, I think I would not have been able to start it on my own, but I had a mentor in the media space, um, a guy called Michael DePontier, who's a well-known a business person in Toronto and a well-known media entrepreneur. And I kind of went to him with this idea, hey, why isn't there a fund that invests directly in like companies that promote sustainability? And he he was actually the chair of the World Canadian World Wildlife Fund. And he'd had like a similar idea. So we actually, that was kind of an idea. We So we kind of we had this idea, both had had the same idea. And so he... Um, he kind of backed it and, and helped us get going. And he was our chairman for the first over 10 years of our existence. Um, so that's that's a little bit how it came to, came to be. Uh, your operations mostly run in Ontario or all over Canada? Uh, well, our team, we, our office is in Toronto. We don't go to the office very much anymore because since COVID, but we have, most of our people are based in Ontario, but we have, um, one in Montreal, as, as you know, and one in um, Florida, and one in Saskatchewan. Oh. And we've we've now just got a person who's who's sort of part time, but or is part time, but is is from Europe because we're kind of trying to bring some global kind of intelligence into our decision making. Um, but then the rest of us are based in in uh, basically around Toronto. Your company is certified B Corp, which is a certification demonstrating high social and environmental standards. What are some practices that help you achieve this goal? Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, this was kind of our original, it, it really goes back to our kind of original um, orientation. So like we, we, you know, we only, we only invest in companies that really have a kind of driven by a mission uh, and purpose around sustainability. Um and that's the biggest that's the biggest way but you know we've we do other things too i mean we we've helped to start for example a um uh a thing called the youth impact challenge which which uh is is a competition for youth to solve social environmental challenges and puts puts uh, money to 
to teams who come up with good business ideas. And, um, you know, we, we were, a, you know, as a, as a, as a fund company, we're fairly like light overhead, but we're, 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 we're obviously kind of conscientious about that. Um, what else do we do? I mean, it, it, it kind of runs through our, our whole way of thinking in terms of thinking about all of the stakeholders of our companies um, and, and trying to be kind of responsible investors in that respect. So it, it's kind of runs through our organization to, to be, um, to think in a broad way about business, not in a narrow way of just trying to squeeze out the last dollar, but a broad way in terms of trying to, um, trying to build businesses that benefit all the stakeholders and including, you know, the, 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 the environmental ones, you know, the, uh, the 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 environmental um, uh, factors, I guess, that 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 are you know that are important to consider. Perfect. In 2014, your company invested 2.2 million dollars in Vital Farm, a business focusing on eggs from freely raised hands. By 2020, the company went public and was valued at 1.3 billion dollars. In your opinion, what do you think contributed to the success? Uh, of my of um, vital farms yeah i think there were a few things i mean um first of all they had a very unique offering so they're really they, they had this kind of um what they they called they, they kind of called it pasture raised eggs but it was quite a different protocol so you know the organic or free run protocols were, were much less stri strenuous so they they for example had a thing that that required 108 square feet per every laying hen which is a significantly more room they required them to be outdoors not just sort of packed into a barn um and as a result of all that they actually had eggs that, that their eggs were kind of provably better for the consumer low you know higher vitamins low, lower cholesterol that kind of thing um and then they had they had so they had like a really unique offering and and they, they built a, a unique supply chain so you know whereas a lot of egg producers will basically go to very very large farms you know farming millions of birds at, at once they really worked with a kind of small family farm model so they would have hundreds of small family farms that would and and they were able to provide economics that worked for a small family farm um they could pay them more for their for their eggs and they could build a model that kind of worked at, at a different scale. But that then allowed them to create a supply chain that was pretty hard to replicate. Um, and then they had this really powerful brand, uh, which, you know, you can go online and see some of their advertising, but it was kind of cheeky and funny and um, unique and distinctive. And it kind of did everything differently from how eggs, you know, and for example, they have a one of their cartons is is a black carton, so it really stands out. Um, everything they did was just kind of different from how in any of the other egg producers operated. And kind of all those things together um, really made them quite a you know unique company. And they're now a public company, so you can see their progress. They they just came out with a earnings report recently, and they've continued to grow pretty pretty well as a as a public company too. Um, and then they, and then they, you know, some of it's just basic. They just ran a really good business. They, um, they, there's a, there's a challenge when you grow a company from, from a small company to a very big company is that the, 
the kind of roles change over time. So it's, it's often see a founder who who's got a vision, but and 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 maybe very very competent and the best person to ex- at, at that vision, but m- might not be the right person to run a hundred million dollar company with all of the logistics and and so that kind of transition is really critical. And they did a really good job. So Matt, who was the founder, and he's actually the largest shareholder, and he was the chairman, kind of recognized that he needed a. Um, an opera like a really good operator run the business at the right moment he brought that in and 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 so like those those things they did really well and the ultimately they just built a built a really strong strong business uh as well so i would say it's all of those things together do you know in what supermarkets they're available are they i'm sorry available in quebec or only uh ontario it's actually not even in canada at all because of our supply we've got a um a, a supply system that doesn't that makes it hard to bring dairy products over over the Canadian border. So it's actually U.S. only. Um, they're very, very prominent in Whole Foods across the U.S. If you walked into, it's probably one of the most prominent brands in all of Whole Foods in the U.S. But they're they'd be broadly distributed in, in almost any American uh, um, retail uh, you know outlet that sells food. If I understand correctly. Vital Farms had an advantage over its competitors because their eggs were healthier, right? Correct. Okay, but uh, what about your your other investments? The companies that you support financially are often way more sustainable than the average ones on the market, and being sustainable sustainable often leads to lower profit margins. So basically, my question is, how are your other investments able to stay competitive in the market? Yeah, I mean, you know, it 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 varies from company to company. Tip typically they do, ha- um, they usually have to be able to charge more. I mean, invite in the case of Vital Farms, they it was an interesting thing because when they came out, they charged a lot more, and they were able to convince the consumer it was worth that. Now, as they've grown, they've been able to bring that price down, down, down. So it's 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 come down a long way, but. It was significantly, uh, you know, more higher priced, and it, it is generally the case that most of our products we invest in are higher cost than like a, a just a conventional um, product, and and so that's you know that's one truth truthfully one answer. Um, now, you know, then it, then it goes to just being able to run an efficient business. Some very some you know sometimes that includes like. Uh, some kind of a vertical integration. So quite quite a quite a number of them have their own manufacturing, so that they can produce you know efficiently um, and keep more of the economics, and and that makes them that makes them um, more competitive. Um, that that would be another thing you you see frequently. Um, you know, this supply chain advantage is is one as well. So like a lot of them have created kind of a unique supply chain that that is 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 quite a distinct um and and valuable and and that that also allows them to um basically basically have a you know have a higher have a, make it hard for other people to compete against them because because you know they have their own supply chain that that others can't easily replicate those are some of the ways yeah have you already invested in a company that you thought would be great, but turns out they didn't? Yeah, I mean it's it's the model. Um, 
if if you're depending depending if you're meaning uh, financially or environmentally, I mean, I think most of them most of them deliver on what they promise environmental or like uh, from a social or impact perspective, partly because it's kind of why the entrepreneurs typically started their businesses. Like, so they, they're usually pretty committed to those principles, I would say in, in, by and large, it, it, you know, it's, it's definitely the fun model that the, the return, you know, you're going to get most of the, let's say we invest in 10 or 15 companies and in a fund it's probably like two that are going to return the, the vast majority of the economics. And, and then many of them will, you know, either do okay or maybe not, or, and some may go out of business. And that, that is, that is kind of the reality. It's a hard, like all, all sectors are hard, but so is food. It's, it's competitive. It's, it's tough to be successful. And, and just by the law of, of numbers and you know a bunch of our companies will um struggle or or not make it that's 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 definitely true and how do you find those companies you go in the grocery store and just look out for new ideas that are on the shelf and reach out to them basically sometimes i, I we we did that kind of to start i would say um we've been doing this long enough now that you know, a lot of them find their way to us. We have a lot of advisors out there, like people we've worked with, co-investors, CEOs, and they're always bringing things to us. Um, we'll walk the trade show. So there's a couple of trade shows where a lot of these companies go every year and we'll walk around and say hi and talk, talk to them. And, um, and by now we've been doing it long enough that, you know, we basically get to know them. And, and a lot of them are like, entrepreneurs who might have sold a business and they come back and so we've already you know we've known them from a prior company so so by this time it it tends to be much less us cold calling uh people but it started that way until we until we sort of had a reputation for being investors in the space okay so back in 2002 you were um working alone in the field of environmental impact. How do you perceive the market evolution now that companies are also engaging in similar efforts? And what sets your ap approach uh, apart from each other? Yeah, no, it's true. There are quite a few more. Now, having said that, probably come down a little bit in the last couple of years because it's been a little harder out there. Um, I'd say four or five years ago, there was there was kind of a lot of people moving into the space and, 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 um, you know, the, as I say, it's, it's been a bit more difficult. Um, so that, that reduces it a bit. Um, what, what I think this is partly this, what I said earlier about us focusing on a sector, um, you know, originally, you know, we, we, we were in a bunch of different sectors. So we know we've invested in renewable energy companies and biofuels and water technologies and, and wind power and all this other stuff. And um, and and that that kind of was okay for a while, but as as there's more and more um, participants, it, it it sort of made sense to start to to specialize. And so I think part of that is us kind of honing more in more and more on a, on a particular niche in order to have like kind of our thing that we do, um, you know, well and and know know well. Um, there still are a couple other companies that are fun companies that are kind of like us, but it's actually not a bad thing because, you know, you want to invest with other people typically. So we kind of view each other, I'd say, more as like collaborators than competitors. You know, we'll 
if we're doing it's very often that we'll lead around that's more than what we would invest ourselves so it's kind of nice to have other funds that you know that you you know what their their approaches is uh similar to yours and you can call them and and see if they want to join an investment round and they'll call you the next time that kind of thing so it's it's a, like a collaborative um space and and because we're tight enough we kind of have our lane a bit and 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 um you know know what we do well that's interesting it creates a good like work environment yes okay um overall uh, do you believe you've become the person you aspired to be during your time in university yeah that's a really interesting question. i would have never guessed in a million years that i would have done this but i don't think i would have been I, I think I would have been happy with it. Um, I just wouldn't have been able to to um, predict it. Um, you know, I probably maybe imagined I would I would do more on the writing side. I should you you may know this, but along the way, I've written a book and I've on, on green business and I've I've co I've edited a few and so I've I've kind of continued to keep my foot in that world a little bit. Um, I think the short answer is I would not have guessed it, but I would have been happy to you know to discover that <laughs> yeah and um what was your favorite part about mcgill yeah i mean i think it was oh there's so many things i just i loved mcgill i mean i think it was the probably the people i met you know like i still a lot of my friends um went to mcgill and um and probably like it was a time in my life when especially when i did my masters when we would go out and talk about big ideas I, I quite enjoyed that you know and they could be theoretical ideas or philosophy or or politics or the environment or you know it was full of thinking about the world and how it should be and different ideas and different theories and learning learning about um learning about philosophy and uh and 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 learning about um language how to how to write a how to how to make an argument um a good argument a, a tight one concise and well well considered and so all that stuff was hugely uh you know and, and when i go when i go to mcgill i'm i i always have great uh positive uh, sort of sentiment for for my time there to come back on what we have talked about a little bit earlier why have you never had a more typical job why have you always started businesses and new ideas? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I think to start, to be honest, when, when I finished my master's, it wasn't a great time in the economy. And there was a little bit of, I, I did, I, I shouldn't, I actually did have kind of like a, as I was starting my magazine, I did have like a kind of part-time publishing job. Um, but I just, it was kind of a hard time. And, and I don't know, like, I, I think partly I had this, I had a friend and we, I don't know, we just, we, we basically on our last day, we handed in our, our master's thesis and we, we went out to uh, a bar on Saint Laurent. I, I don't know if it's still there. I think it was called Le Savoise or something like that. It was a, and we just started talking about, you know, could, you know, we had all these ideas and we just started throwing ideas around and one was a magazine. And the next day he called me and said, we should do that magazine idea. And then for some reason, just one thing led to another. And I, I just never um, kind of looked back. So it's just, maybe it's just serendipity. So you're happy with the, with your career path as of yeah. now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 
it's a bit hard to imagine anything different, right? But I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. And because this is a, su a student podcast, what advice would you give to uh, new students or graduate that are maybe in the in between? They don't know what they want to do later. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I would just say like get like be active, you know, like. Which is to say, you know, join clubs or or join a board or, you know, volunteer or like, you know, just keep your feet moving, right? Like one thing leads to another, and 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 you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't totally matter if what you're doing is the exact thing, as long as it's kind of heading in the right direction. Um, I I think I would just try to sort of, I would I would. I would advise them to sort of stay moving and just keep keep going out and you know, and that might be helping a friend with a business idea. It might be volunteering. It might be you know, it's it's about just um, just keeping on, keep your feet moving in the right direction, and you kind of eventually uh, thing one thing leads to another, and 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 things start to click. You mentioned clubs. Did you have a favorite club at McGill? Yeah, it's a funny thing. I wa I wasn't a, such a good club person. I I did I played like so I played music. So I did a lot of my own. You know, we used to play at the. I guess I don't know if it's still called Gertz, but we used to play it at the. Yeah, it's still uh, called Gertz. Yeah. Play at Gertz or downstairs. It used what used to be called the Alley. There was a there was a bar below, and so I did a lot of like playing in music around McGill, and um, that was one of my that was probably my main. Um, you know, thing that I did outside of, outside of my, my school. Um, so, but when, but it's once I, once I came, so I, I was a little bit also trying to just fill my head up with ideas, but when I graduated from McGill and since then I've been quite like intentionally like active in different ways. And actually my, this guy, Michael DePoncia, who was kind of my mentor in media space and, and who helped us in our first chairman, he helped us set up the company up. But I remember he was, he would really encourage us to do, for example, join boards and stuff like that. Um, like just to take on other experiences. So I've, you know, I've been the chair of um, a pretty large foundation and I, you know, I, so I've, I've been, and I did the books and I, and I, I did, I was involved, I've been involved in, in some political things. Like I helped the government of Ontario with their climate strategy. And so I've, I've been kind of intentional, it, it, you know, since starting my career and trying to be active in different ways and, and to try to broaden my, my experience. And, and, um, and, and so I would say it's sort of more since I left, um, McGill that, 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 that idea has, has kind of flourished in me, but, um, um but yeah so if you had one book to recommend which, which one would it be and why one book whoa oh that's a toughie um huh well um i'd probably say something like um well there's a wonderful writer who i always come back to called pema chodron who is a a buddhist um and she she's a very good spiritual person and then i the other one that's jumping to mind which is a big long read but a great book is is uh and a great writer is war and peace tolstoy's uh amazing novel um and tolstoy's like an amazing 
um, amazing person actually to to learn about, and and so those jump to mind. They're they're quite different, but uh, uh, those are what what just popped into my head. Perfect. We'll look them up. So we will go on to the next part of the interview. The next questions are rapid fire style questions. So obviously these are shorter questions that goes less in depth. So you can just give us the first answer that comes to your mind. Got it. In one sentence, how would you define success? Um, success is long-term happiness while helping others. What is the best piece of advice that someone has ever given you? Um, your most valuable asset is your time. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be a herpetologist, which is a studier of, of snakes. Okay. <laughs> That's really precise. <laughs> If you were to write an autobiography, what would the title be? That's a hard one. Maybe um, I tried. <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> That's good. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Uh, the first thing I do after I have a shower is I, I meditate for 20 minutes every morning. So every morning, meditation for 20 minutes? Every weekday morning. I don't do it on the weekends. Okay. But I do it every weekday morning, yeah. Okay. And our last rapid fire question. What song would be the soundtrack of your life? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Oh, my God. That is really hard. Um, um, okay. I'll try this one. Maybe, maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's my, one of my favorite songs, George Harrison's uh, Here Comes the Sun. Perfect. Okay, so that wraps it up for our questions. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add to the podcast or if you feel we've covered subjects. Uh, no, that's great. You covered it all. Perfect. So we really value your, your time and expertise. We thank you so much uh, for accepting our invite. We really feel that your insight will benefit students and uh, alumni of McGill. Thank you a lot. That's great. Yeah, nice to see you guys, and thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like our episode, feel free to drop a comment or follow us on our Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, or social medias. Have a good one, and see you next time. The sole purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform our listeners. It is by no means a substitute for professional guidance by qualified experts. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute financial or other professional advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your career options, as well as financial undertakings with other professionals who specialize in wealth, securities, and asset management, or any other field in financial services. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at a personal and individual risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. The views expressed on this platform are personal opinions and only, and should not be construed as financial advice for a given situation or from a given institution. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, it may not be appropriate for specific circumstances, and information may become outdated over time. No firm, nor any company providing financial support endorses or opposes any particular view or tools discussed in this podcast. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted towards the content of this podcast is forbidden. This podcast may not be edited, modified, or redistributed. The Corporate Chat Podcast has no liability for any personal activities in connection with this podcast or for personal use of this podcast in connection with personal websites, computers, or playing devices. 
Moreover, the Corporate Chat Podcast makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. McGill University and our sponsors expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.